Hey everyone, it's Jerry at the Fledge, and welcome to uh, season two, episode six of Every Damn Day. Thank you for coming today, and uh, we've got a guest that I'm very excited for, and all of you will know why as soon as I bring him on and he starts talking. Uh, but before that, I want to uh, uh, just mention a couple things that are happening around here. One is going on right now from 12 to 2 up in the Fledge is our crypto ecosystem meetup. So if you want to learn about NFTs, uh, decentralized autonomous organizations, different types of crypto coins, including the Fledge coin, please come out to one of our meetups. Uh, they're drop in and drop out whenever you want. So you can show up at one o'clock after the show if you want. And the other thing is I have postponed uh tonight's 99 problems but a pitch ain't one and the concert that was scheduled for tomorrow um both of them for uh covid related reasons so please be careful out there please get vaccinated please mask up please do the things that help us protect the community um and you know my position on that uh and then the other thing is the youth STEM program that we are starting, the science, technology, engineering, and math, but also um, to us, it's the entrepreneurial part of what we're trying to do with Lansing students. Please look at the Fledge's website or the Fledge Facebook page for the sign-up sheet for two things. One, if you got a student in Everett, Eastern, Sexton, Grandlet, or uh, Gardner, or Dwight Rich, they are eligible if they have a business idea, um, let's get them registered and let's get them working on their entrepreneurial journey. The other thing is we need mentors for the program. So we also have the mentor sign up. You do not have to be an expert in business or anything that you might think. Everybody, as the show is proving, has a story to tell and an expertise in something. And what we're really looking for is somebody with a passion to help kids. So if you care about the kids that are going through a lot of rough things right now in all of our different cities, from virtual school to the gun violence we're seeing in Lansing, to just the pressures of uh, poverty here in Lansing, and then COVID laid on top of it is just an even bigger mess. So those are a couple things that I wanted to make sure you all knew about and check out the Facebook page or the website. And don't forget that we are broadcasting every damn day on Spotify every day now. So this uh, episode today will also publish out there at uh, 4 p.m. today. So with that said, I am going to bring on my new friend, Trey. How you doing, Trey? I'm doing all right. Uh Man, uh, I'm a, you have a snow day today. How much, oh, how yeah. much snow did you guys get? Um, it doesn't. It doesn't look too terrible. Like we did get, we did get a good amount of snow. It's more just like the wind and just it's so cold out there. Yeah, and it's just nasty. like not letting up whatsoever. <laughs> so, so we got some kids in the background. That's mm -hmm. pretty awesome. I always tell people that uh, adds to the richness of the yeah. show. Yeah, I got, so. I got Lilith. Uh, she's almost uh, about to be seven months next week, and then I have a five-year-old named Delilah, and they're both just a trip and amazing. 
of course they are. I've got, you know, I was telling you mm-hmm. before the show, I've got four uh, grandchildren, and the the first girl, her her name is Liliana. Oh, nice. Uh, and I'm trying to get us to trademark Little Lil as her rap name someday. Nice. No Perfect. Go for it. <laughs> so they're just hey, trying to set up a future for her, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Um, let's jump into you a little bit. Okay. Um, I guess, I, I guess the question is, what's your story? Um, you know, uh, grew up small town, South Haven, about three hours from you. Um, huge tourist town, not a whole lot to do, you know, grew up skateboarding and all that stuff. Uh, you know, when it, uh, I'm in recovery, so kind of stereotypical broken home, that kind of blah, blah, blah. Um, fell into the wrong crowd, drugs, alcohol. Uh, my biggest thing was I never, never could find my fit. I always, I kind of jumped from group to group, really never had an identity. And, uh, just made a lot of bad choices, ended up dropping out of school. But the main place that really accepted me for who I was and, also led me on a very rough path was uh the kitchen uh i started cooking about 17 and really just i i loved it i loved the chaos i loved the energy i loved the whole uh i guess is kind of dorky as it sounds the debauchery of everything mm. you know and uh that also really really exploded my my drug career you know my drinking too um the first kitchen i worked in everybody drank everybody did drugs you know we would stay out all night be there early in the morning still drunk from the night before and it it just it made everything worse for me and um i was really big into painkillers and stuff like that eventually leading all the way to heroin and um the turning point and really when i tried to start into recovery was uh at 22 i attempted suicide and landed in my first rehab and after that i couldn't string more than like two months of sobriety together you know, it just, it wasn't clicking. I didn't like it. it. I felt like a lost cause. And every year after that, I ended up in rehab. And uh, last March 2nd of 2020, I ended up in rehab for the fourth time. Uh, the year before that, I actually managed to string together a year of sobriety. And... uh about month 10, everything kind of fell apart. Like I wasn't working a program or anything. I just wasn't drinking or using. And so two weeks after I hit that year, I relapsed and went on a bender. And then March, I ended up in rehab again. And after getting out of rehab, um, I had nothing. I had a duffel bag of clothes, a pack of cigarettes, and a few other items like i lost my car i lost my house uh my marriage fell apart um 
Oh, I guess I should back up. Uh, when I turned 18, I married my high school sweetheart. And uh, it was a very, very toxic, very destructive relationship. And uh, that fell apart this last time in rehab. And ironically, was probably the best thing for my recovery and helped me get to the position I'm in now. Um, so when I got out of rehab, uh, it was right the the day after I got out of rehab is right when Michigan went into lockdown. So literally another great thing for my recovery. All I had to do was sit on my grandma's couch and do Zoom meetings all day, every day. That's all I did was Zoom meetings and telephone therapy sessions. And, uh, you know, it's all through this. It was just these train wreck jobs of bouncing in and out of kitchens, not holding anything together. And uh, it was just, my life was a nightmare. And now I got 22 months of sobriety. I'm a sous chef at a golf course in South Haven. It's awesome. I'm a father to two beautiful kids. I have a great fiance. My life is just, it's, it's pretty awesome right now. That is so nice to hear. Um, can I ask you a couple questions? About yeah, of course. Part of your story. Is it an okay time to pause? Yeah, for yeah that? go for it. Um, when, and this is a, I mean, this is a tough question. Was the attempted suicide, was that a, was it like an intentional overdose that you tried? No, or? I okay. actually, um, I, I cut my wrist. Oh, okay. Yep. Um, a lot of people listening and you do now too know my story and mm -hmm. the loss of my daughter. And yep. I often wonder if the overdose was really just a suicide. Yeah. Um, Cause she crushed up fentanyl and snorted it. Yep. And it makes me wonder. Yeah. So, so thank you for answering that like mm -hmm. that. And sorry to ask. Um, no, no. Like, like I said before, like everything in my life is pretty open. I've gotten to a point where I'm, I don't want to hide anything back because I don't know what can help or reach someone. And then the other thing is, do you have, do you have thoughts, advice, anything like that for, why, why do you think people lapse or relapse um, while they're in recovery? And I'm sure it's a plethora of things. Um. But do you know what it was for you? Maybe I just, I, it was, it was a multiple things. Like, um, I was never comfortable, you know, with that, I guess everything became in re recovery. Everything started to get calm. You know, the chaos disappeared, you know, um, I had to deal with my emotions. I had to be a person. I had to feel, I had to do a lot of stuff that just like in those not, I didn't have a good foundation in my recovery during these points where it was just, I didn't know how to deal with that stuff. You know, I, I was an angry person. I held a lot of my emotions in. I, I was just pissed off and I didn't want to feel, and I didn't want to be 
present. And it took a long time to get comfortable with that. And people, I know that's for me, that's my reasons for relapsing. People will probably often say, oh, man, you made it a year, a year and a half or whatever. Mm -hmm. You know what happened? And it's it's probably not that spark that everyone's looking for. It's probably the. Yeah, a lot yeah. of people call it a, a prelapse mm. where it was like it was like I said, it was like month 10. I gave up my chairing a meeting. I stopped going to meetings. I stopped taking my medication. I stopped reaching out to my sponsor and talking to those people. Like I just isolated myself. I did exactly what I did when I was using and drinking without the alcohol and drugs. And then they slipped in. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. But now you're a sous chef. And oh yeah. Now yep. Do you, uh, what, what's different? this time um i'm just i'm just comfortable i have a i have a healthy relationship i'm able to communicate most of the time about how i'm doing you know um i just i have a lot more in my toolbox when it comes to recovery to be a functioning member of society and before i didn't yeah. Do, uh, um, oh, what was I going to say? I'm sorry. I lost track for a second because I thought about another thing. <laughs> you know, it's, uh, we do. Uh, you cut it. You're cutting out. Oh, can you hear me now? Yeah. Yep. Yep. Okay. Sorry about that. Uh, Julia said, Hey, Trey, by the hey, way, Julia. she's upstairs probably watching, listening from up there. Yeah. Um, you know, so Julia punks with lunch and, uh, mm -hmm. you know, the Lansing syringe program, which I think is kind of shut down lifeboat up here. We all kind of work together. We've got a, a probably the mobile clinics left uh, by now. Uh, and, you know, there's uh, we deal with a lot of stigma. Mm -hmm. Right. And yes. what that means. And, you know, you must be this bad kid that's from here. Or maybe yeah. Probably people look at you and say, well, you don't look like an addict. And I don't like that. I don't love that word mm -hmm. unless it's in a certain place. Mm -hmm. But you don't look like you have substance use disorder. You don't you know, what What are your thoughts on stigma and all of that? Dude, Um, when uh, I first came into AA and N.A., when I was, I was 22. Um, and a, a lot of people have said the same thing going to those meetings. I thought I wasn't, didn't need to be there because I didn't think I had a problem. I wasn't living under a bridge. I wasn't dirty. You know, I ha had jobs like in my head, I, I didn't have a problem. I wasn't an addict. I just, I like to have fun. I was, I was in my twenties. And then I, I tell it all the time. I had such a warped sense of what an addict was that I was drinking every day at eight in the morning. I was doing opiates and heroin and stuff, but I wasn't an addict because I didn't smoke crack. Hmm. That was literally my basis. It makes no sense whatsoever, but that was my warped sense of thinking. Man, and, that's... uh, yeah, like I, I have been guilty of that stigma of what an addict was. And it took it took me being around these amazing people and people that these old timers in AA and stuff like literally took me under their wing 
And no matter how many times I fucked up and screwed up and relapsed, they were always there for me. Like, you can't tell me that alcoholics are these awful people and stuff like that when it's like, they didn't know who I was. They just knew I was some dumb kid that was in way over my head with my addiction. And just, they they never gave up on me. They always looked after me. Do do you have, as part of the strength of your kind of position to be in recovery and succeed Mm -hmm. do you have a lot more friends or connections or meetings that are more meaningful we always say that connection is the opposite of addiction yes or connection is really the opposite of anything bad in my opinion yeah um i definitely am able to uh communicate more and give back more to recovery than i was in the past like um, I, even when I relapsed and stuff, I always like went to meetings and would be, I'd be completely trashed at meetings and stuff like that. And, um, no help whatsoever, not being able to give back or be that person to call when someone needed help or anything. Um, I literally went to meetings and that was it. Like I, I wasn't a part of, uh, social media groups and stuff like that like i am now um i didn't share as much as i do now about it and it's just uh it's good to be in the position i am now were any of your meetings court ordered no no thankfully that is the one area i never got into was any legal trouble because of my addictions Uh, that's great Mm mm-hmm I know sometimes when it's court ordered, it's hard to take it serious. It's hard to, you're going through the motions. You're getting that oh, yeah. sheet signed and oh, yeah. getting out of there. Yep. That's like when I, uh, when I chair my meeting, like I hold on to their sign in sheets until the very end of the meeting. Yeah. Because yeah. like I've had friends who, yeah, I've had friends who just, uh, you know, get that, they got the paper signed and just, they dipped right as they got it back. Yeah. So uh, what am I, forgetting to ask you or what are we what are we missing from the story what kind of food do you make man let's Uh, talk about you the human yeah i work i work at a golf course uh we make just a second oh no problem never mind my fiance (laughs) is gonna hold me hold it while i open the bottle um (laughs) we make we what like we like to say is we make hoity-toity food you know we make super fancy stereotypical high-end food we get fresh fish in we get the best steaks you know i i love it's my uh this year this coming spring it's gonna be my fifth year there and i i love it i love being able to just like cook all this super expensive stuff that i couldn't get my hands on if i wanted to cook it is it still a year-round restaurant um Uh, even though it's a golf course it used to be we would close every day during the winter except friday and saturday but once this whole covid thing we just shut down completely so um but it's it's nice i get to spend more time with kids you know um get to spend more time with family so it's it's cool do you uh do you still do a lot of cooking at home and no, I'm no, sure it's I, not lobster and fish and no, I, you know dude, steaks uh, every night. Outside of the restaurant, I love trash food. 
okay. you know i love i love frozen pizza i love you know all that stuff that's that's my jam yeah yeah have have you gone to school or anything or no. just learned in the kitchen just i literally only reason i got into the kitchen or cooking at all was because i was a high school dropout i was broke and i could not get a job anywhere else but a kitchen where where do you see yourself? Or do you want to be like a master chef and on um you know, I, cooking shows? Honestly, <laughs> like this past couple of years, like uh I I don't know. For the longest time I wanted to do that, but at the same time, like now I really want to do more with the recovery community okay. and get into stuff like that. But like I'm at this like tipping point where it's like it's scared to make that leap into anything else because literally my entire resume is just cooking. Yeah. So it's, it's a terrifying thought to that not be what I do, yeah. but like, uh, it's, it's too bad you can't put the recovery part in your resume because that's a skill set. Yeah, exactly. Everybody needs to have. Yep. And it's just, uh, it's having a family and stuff like that. The kitchens, a lot more has been put into perspective. Like uh, around here, there's not really an end game. You don't get insurance. There's no retirement plan. So it's just like um, I work nights. I work holidays. I work weekends. You know, I work 10, 12 hour shifts. It's my, I come from a, uh, you know, middle-class home where both my parents worked and all that stuff. So, um, I, I want to be there for like everything for my kids. You know, my, my parents did the best they could. Um, and my dad was always very invested in everything I did. And so I want to be that parent too. And so, and the kitchen, the kitchen makes it hard to do that. Is it the, uh, they're coming home from school or whatever. I mean, they're young still, but, yep. and then you're going to work. And so they, they yeah, leave. I, I'm usually, I, I take Delilah to school pretty much every morning. That's, that's my, what I do. And that's my time to spend with her. Um, but no, I'm, I'm gone before she even gets home from school. Yeah. I usually, uh, during the summer, I usually leave for work about, uh, between 1130 and 12. And then I get home about, did 10 30 11 at night i grew up a kid like that too my, mm -hmm. my mother was in the service industry and yep. yeah so um back to back to recovery and and back to mm -hmm. your journey towards recovery mm -hmm. uh what what do you think your the biggest challenge you have ahead of you is right now is there something that's still a gap a little bit that you're working on? Or? Uh, mine is just uh, balancing life right now um, and getting over the, the hard days, mm. you know, because uh, I still get into that like mopey, pouty, like when I'm having a bad day, it's like I don't want to go to a meeting. I don't want to deal with any of this. I just want to be mad and complain. And, uh, that's, that's a big thing, you know, getting to, 
And uh, everything's not so so huge in recovery anymore either. You know, I'm focusing more on life and stuff like that. Like, you know, that first year, it's like you get a coin every month and everything's this whole big thing. And now it's like, okay, I got this basis. Now I need to re-enter life. I kind of need to do my thing. So it's just getting used to, because I've been in recovery since uh, 2015, you know, and for the first time I'm actually like in uncharted waters. Ah, yeah. Where it was like, I always knew what to do that first year. It was like, I just needed to tweak it enough to get it to this far. Now I'm like, okay, I'm this far. What the fuck do I do? Yeah. So, so is, is it scary? I mean, it is. It's exciting and it's, it's terrifying. But like every day it's amazing because I did not think I would ever be here. Is there something that the recovery community or the community in general could be doing better for people that are in uncharted waters? Because now I'm getting, I mean, that was a scary statement when you said it to me. Yeah, no, it's, um, it's with the recovery community is what I've noticed. And this is just speaking of my experience and stuff is we're all stubborn. We're all hard-headed. We don't like being told what to do. So it's just, when it comes to recovery, for me, it was just a, it was just a waiting game. It was just letting me figure my shit out and like what I needed to do. So it's, I, I will take everybody's advice, but like, there's always just that little bit of me that, hasn't quite figured it out like i don't know everything and i'm not the smartest and so i just need to take advice and a lot of time i'm really bad at that you know so everybody in the recovery community does as much as they can you know because we're we're all in the same boat like you know there are the ones that have the degree and the recovery coaches and stuff like that but at the end of the day even those people they're just recovering addicts or alcoholics. Like all we can do is be like, Hey, I've been there and this is what I did. Take it or leave it. And, uh, just everything. I just have to keep talking to people in recovery. Like, and that's as best I can do. Um, let me ask you one last thing here. All right. There are a lot of family members and friends who mm-hmm. come to me for advice. I'm sure come to Julia for advice. I've got my child's doing this or whatever. Mm-hmm. What, what advice would you give a parent, let's say, on how they could help along the journey the best or what uh, not to do? Well, en- enabling, of course. You know, which is, it's hard to do when it's your family and friends and stuff like that. You want to help them. But, um, we, I, as me, as a addict, I was a liar and manipulator and a thief. You know, I, I would get my, my priority was get money for my fix. You know, so that's a hard thing to accept is the enabling and your part in their addiction. And, um, the frustration, like, uh, 
for me, it, like I said, it took me four times in rehab, numerous relapses. Um, this isn't a, nothing about recovery is permanent. My life could flip completely upside down tomorrow and I could be square one exactly where I was today. I mean, when I started this, um, so that thing that's frustrating you here where it's like relapses are part of recovery. It's, it's true for a lot of us, you know, so that's, that's a hard pill to swallow and see your loved ones struggle and fail and fall over and over again. But like nothing you can do as a person is going to get that person to put down whatever they're using until they want to mm-hmm. like they could love their kids immensely and love their family immensely and all that. But that drug and alcohol sometimes is more powerful than that. Right. So you just gotta, it's, it's fucked up, but like, you just gotta be there and hope it clicks and it's hard to say, but sometimes it wor- works and sometimes it doesn't, you know, but there is nothing in their power they can do to get them to put down that drug or drink. So they just have to be as supportive as they can without enabling. I love it. Mm-hmm. Can I show you something here? Julia has a comment that you can read later. But- okay. Uh, Tyler said, I needed this. Thanks, Trey. And thanks, Dave, for inviting me to watch. Yeah, I'm I'm glad that it reached someone. That was That's all I want to do when it comes to stuff like this. Yeah. So as we wrap up here, mm-hmm. is there anything you'd like to end with? Um, just if you need help, just reach out. Like addiction and all that it it does not discriminate and uh you're not alone you know this if you're struggling don't be ashamed of that like this addiction is a hard fucking thing you know and trying to do it by yourself is it's a very lonely and hard road and you don't need to do that there are so many people out there that want to help and want to be supportive because they were in there in that same position. They didn't feel they could reach out. They thought they were, I guess they thought they were special. They were unique and they're not, you know, addiction. It doesn't matter who you are. Like somebody's been through what you're going through and that's, you got to accept that and you need to reach out. Um, you can, my, inbox and stuff is always open i'm always happy to help people you can look me up on facebook or instagram it's just look up trey covey and you'll find my stuff um just reach out that's the biggest thing don't try to do this by yourself and i'll come in later and put a couple links to your instagram and your facebook and all of that okay yep um trey uh much love to you. Yeah. Thanks. I, uh, I really I really appreciate being a part of this. I appreciate you telling your story yep. and being so authentic and open about it. Yeah. 
Thanks, man. All right, everyone. That's a wrap. Stick with me for a second, Trey. I'm just going to okay. take us off air. We love you all. Reach out to us. Reach out to somebody. Mm-hmm. Don't tough love your way out of this. Parents, just be there. I love yep. the advice, Trey. Yep. Just be Love you all. We'll see you tomorrow.